This is NRL Boom Rookies. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of NRL Boom Rookies. Alongside me, as always, he didn't have a magic weekend. It's Mitch Doyle. Oh god, did you have to you have to remind us that didn't happen? Yes, I thought <laughs> yeah. about it all weekend. And speaking Let's of things I thought about all weekend. Del Roots, hello. Hello, how are you? Well I'm good. Good stuff. Yeah, we, we we should all be flying back from Brisbane like today instead of recording a podcast from our yeah. respective homes. But very sore and sorry for ourselves probably. Yeah, I'm in bits, but for different reasons right now. I'm just exhausted by everything else, but I wish I was exhausted from the getting pissed in Brisbane yeah, for four days. Yeah, it's quite funny. Like, for the most part, I've sort of like coped reasonably well with corona. It was just this weekend was the first time I was really like, ah, oh, fuck. Like, this is, <laughs> yeah. And I, I dare say, Dale, I'm not going to get my money back from uh, Virgin for my flight. Uh, well, you know, I would say no, because I don't think many people are. Just, just add your list to the investors who need some money back off them. Yeah, indeed. Oh, God. Um, but yeah, so we will be doing a couple of podcasts for you in this sitting, hopefully. Um, and this first one that we're doing will be sort of uh, half news and sort of half sort of looking back at some uh, amusing news stories of yesteryear to um, just do something a little bit different for you guys. Um, obviously, we're still tr- trying to come up with new ways to bring you guys content and, and episodes and anything you guys want us to talk about in the future, any sort of ideas you might have, just reach out to us on social media and um, yeah, we'll take it under consideration for sure. But Mitchell, we will take it under more consideration if people come from Patreon to do so. Yes, we will. So that's it. As we do for everything, we answer all their questions first. But yeah, if you want to get behind us on Patreon, head over to patreon.com forward slash NRL Boom Rookies. It's a special shout out to those uh, who pay for the privilege, those on our Boom Rookies tier subscription over on Patreon. So it's specifically Carlo Tyson, Dan Cullinane, Wayne Ritchie, Ty, Jason, Roxanne Clark, Simo Alley, Matty McPherson, Dave, Scott Finlayson, Chris Avnell, Tom Hardy, Warwick Ahern, and Alex Sergiacomi. Indeed. Um, so let's jump into some news. Simi Renrandra trying the chip and chase. Oh, this will be interesting. Oh, yes, it will, yes. Semi Rundrundra. Oh, he's absolutely buried it. Rundrundra. So, all right, first of all, we are obviously going to talk about this uh, relatively. This was breaking when we started recording. The, the story only dropped about an hour before we hit record, but. Um, Four Rabbitohs players have been sent home for flu-like symptoms, including Latrell Mitchell, which has given a uh, collective erection to every uh, rugby league doom death rider around the country. I'm I'm exhausted by coronavirus in general. What was that called? Corona fatigue. Yeah. But I'm I'm exhausted by Latrell Mitchell, and I've had Latrell fatigue for a long time. And even this article, it's like four Rabbitohs tested. Got for COVID nineteen, but the only one we know got te- we know of by name is Latrell, and it's like just of course it's the only name we get released. We have to make it all about Latrell. It's not even his fault, but like that's all the club let out as well. Yeah, it's Why? just as you say, it's just pe- people are going to be, you know, they'll draw they'll draw their own conclusions from this. And as you say, if he's the only name that's kind of been linked to this group of four players, then then yeah, you know, like that people will say, oh well, it was this and that, and. He's he's the link, and you know it could be obviously it could be anything, but as you say, it's 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 tough to kind of have to hear another negative story about Trell after 
what, like three months of hearing Morgan negative stories about him than probably any other player in the comp at this stage. Yeah. Mm. It's unfortunate. Uh, Trent Robinson also getting tested for coronavirus today. Yeah. yeah. It, as I said, I said to you guys before we came on air, it does, it does surprise me the lack of kind of like uh, standardization around this kind of thing. Like all the players obviously coming from New Zealand will be quarantining um, and they most likely would have got tested over there. But it has surprised me the lack of um, kind of regiment around this, like that not all players are getting tested. It would make sense to me to just test all however many players there are in the comp plus the because what they're they're moving in bands of 50 if i remember correctly there's like only 20 people that aren't allowed within the playing group in in these pods so it would surprise me um, it surprises me that they're not just testing these 50 people in one go yeah i I don't know how it works i don't know how much outcry that would create i know there's only a finite number of testing kits but i do agree with you and that seems like the more practical thing to do speaking of things that are not Incredibly practical. The Storm are set to decamp to New South Wales for the foreseeable future and will be uh, posting up in Albury for their training camp. Uh, for uh, I, I yeah, yeah. I, 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 Craig Bellamy was talking about this on um, on Offsiders uh, last week. I think it was uh, week before last, potentially. Um, no, sorry, it was last week, and he was saying that they were. Like they obviously had to get permission to travel interstate, and they'll they'll be isolating themselves. But he was talking about how difficult it was to find like training facilities in Albury, which I kind of was surprised by, considering it's like it's meant to be a hub for kind of southern New South Wales, and they've got like Lavington Oval and stuff there. But yeah, he said it was contingent on them being able to to get training facilities. So I think they've posted up at a golf club slash resort potentially, and they'll be using the facilities there and training off-site I assume but yeah Aubrey Aubrey seems the most uh seems the most sensible place for them to go there was another place that they were looking at which was further up the Murray but I can't exactly remember where it was but yeah as you say Aubrey I mean it makes the most sense They've yeah well I mean before. this the story I read has said that they can they, they can go back to their families on the weekend and obviously it's only a few hours drive from Melbourne so I guess that makes the most sense for them if they're not allowed to train in their home state um uh, in some slightly more positive news, uh, with NRL players being back on deck, uh, more than 180 off-contract players are able to plan for their futures again. Yeah, so obviously now, without knowing the full cap ramifications last year, we haven't been able to have players negotiate deals, but it looks like that's all back on. Obviously, we're not fully aware of what the impact is next year, but those making the calls will know. I'm guessing everything's back to normal next year. But yeah, it's just um, it's just a strange period, as we all know in the game. It's like I'm, I'm exhausted by all the setup news, but I'm glad it just seems no matter every day there's like a new crisis or a new roadblock. It's just too much, you know. It's what I say. It's reporting before the resolutions even you know being put forward. But it doesn't. It seems like nothing's stopping May twenty eighth. This is another thing that's returning to normality of rugby league, which is good that the players can um get on with their futures. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, as you guys said, um. Uh, we do have a bit of corona fatigue and we don't want to spend all night talking about this, but yes, the yeah. clubs have also been doing uh, biosecurity education days um, to, I guess, um, <laughs> understand hey, you've got you wash your hands and not touch other people. I don't know. You've got Bryce Cartwright out there claiming fake news to all of it or whatever. Of course. <laughs> I, we should mention that, that players who don't want to get a flu shot have to sign a waiver, <laughs> which I find baffling. They should be, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to, run the risk of being called a fascist but realistically if you don't get a flu shot you shouldn't be allowed to play in this in this current climate 
Yeah, I mean, it's just the, that ridiculous anti-vax community, but, you know, I guess they signed a waiver. But again, it's just one of those things. I just have no energy to care about it. <laughs> I don't care about it at the moment. I just want the footy back. I, that's honestly, that is true. Um, it's, uh, it's unlike Brass like, Cartwright to not want to take shots. That's all I'm saying. It is. Yeah, um, I just and, like exhausted by all of it, mate. Like your your old mate Brad Walter had had a, you know, he's been around a long time. And he he had said something the other day mentioning like how this this news cycle, what's happening right now, it's like, it's not that anything's being reported wrong, but it's more so with the way the media works now. Is everything was reported when a journalist gets it, so we're getting like minute by minute terrible updates about oh the NRL didn't ask the, the prime minister about this, and then five hours later it's cleared, and it's just like it's all this stuff. We keep getting the 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 news updates before the story's finished. And it's nobody's fault the industry's like that now, but it's just like the way the reporting is now, this whole thing's been exhausting. Like, of course, no shit when the NRL say they're going to have a, we're going to play a competition on May 28th and they've got clearance from the government. Like, no shit, it's going to happen. It just haven't got it officially on paper yet. They can't, the government's like, like the Prime Minister can't speak before it's official. And those kind of things have been happening where it looks stupid, but really it's just because media reports before things are finalised now. Like, you know yeah. what I'm, get what I'm saying? I, I did yeah, want to just totally. one, one thing that I, I think I mentioned to you guys uh, today, but one thing that, uh, speaking of prime ministers, I, I listened to a bit of um, Jacinda Ardern's press conference today and it was interesting listening to her talk about travel arrangements going forward. So, I mean, obviously this won't be, uh, it won't be kind of ad infinitum. We won't be playing in New South Wales forever, but if, if both states, if say New South Wales and New Zealand, are both at say level two restrictions or whatever they are. There, there, there seems to be the possibility that New Zealand will be able to go home. The players will be able to go home at some stage, um, and play, continue playing. Like I assume home games in New Zealand and then away games in New South Wales. So that's potentially yeah. a good thing going forward. I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, I, I I'm not so confident that that will happen. Um, I think that with the risks, especially the risk to New Zealand, given that they've really, really gotten on top of this thing to the point where it's nearly been eradicated over there. Um, oh, I'd be I'd be at least mildly surprised if that happened, but we should mention that Nathaniel Roach and David Pussytour have both not travelled with the squad to their camp in Tamworth, uh, both staying behind in New Zealand. Yeah, Nathaniel Roach already been cleared of coronavirus, but he um, yeah, at the board, got stopped at the border. You know, he had a temperature... Uh, yesterday, but he's been clear. But still, they still don't know if he can come, or have to wait, or he has to wait two weeks to get here. And then David Pusatua's reasoning hasn't come out exactly yet, but that was apparently personal. And I believe he'll be over here in a week or two anyway. So I don't think either of those guys will miss any rugby league. But it was just like when I saw Nathaniel Roach, I thought, of course it was Nathaniel Roach. Like that guy's body hates him. He may as well be one of the Stanley brothers, mate. Any like there's just to anything to stop him Stanley. playing rugby league. Anything in his body to stop him playing rugby league. It's like I, I couldn't believe. It. Of course, he's the one warrior with a fever. Yeah, oh, sad for them. <laughs> if they had to lose any player, they lose one of their best. So, yeah, that's that's not ideal. Uh, do you have any, any other Corona related stuff you guys want to talk about before we crack on? No, crack on. Uh, let's no, crack on. let's crack on. Cool. What? Oh, it's actually one thing. Uh, rugby league in you in, in uh, the UK got a government bailout, which is cool. It's only a loan. It was reported as a bailout, but they got a loan essentially to keep the uh, competition afloat there over in England, which is, which is good to hear because obviously um, that's been going leaps and bounds and it's been growing internationally. I don't know if that stopped its future growth, but I was really enjoying what the uh, English Rugby League was doing for the uh, international growth of the game. So hopefully that they can still keep the Wolfpack around and continue with their expansions next year. Good. 
Um, is there, do you guys have any non-coronavirus news you want to talk about? Rugby um, league related? Yeah, yeah. back in three weeks. Well, anything. <laughs> any of the, just life updates, mate. Mate, well, I mean, rugby league coming back is, is the best of news. I think we've all had enough of, like, top 20 lists. And like, you know, even though all of us here were going to do that greatest games concept, right? We can't do one of those every week without it losing its juice. Yeah, you know, it's like I'm ready for some new rugby, new sport, something new to talk about. Like, it's just um, exhausting. We're now start getting what we're getting now though. Already, we're back into like preseason version two. We're already getting yeah. Origin Bolter chat again, which I was yeah. I loved seeing some Cohen Hess Bolter chat today. <laughs> <laughs> We, we are we are days away from finding out who has been training the house down once again. It's our favourite time of the year. It's it's it is the the uh, the darkness before the dawn, the the, the the new day of rugby league. So yeah, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully preseason chat can uh, can can keep it keep us going for the next few weeks. God damn, and I miss footy. So do I, and I mean, I'm really happy with the the structure being, you know, another 18 weeks. Getting 20 weeks and finals out of the season is, you know, I think it's a big win considering we're talking about 15 at one point. But um, I'm really excited for Origin at the end of the year. Like, I'm really hoping it rates well. You know, I know it infringes the international calendar then potentially, but if it rates well and does well, God, it'd be a great long-term solution. I'm really begging that that's like something that does really well on TV and media. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, so, uh, now that we've gotten through the serious stuff, uh, we're going to take a look back at um, some interesting stories from yesteryear. Uh, Mitchell, would you like to just explain to the listeners a little bit further uh, what we're going to be doing? We're doing rugby league story time, essentially. And it's like, you know, we've kind of, as I mentioned, been exhausted by the current media cycle. We had previous ideas. We had a great idea from Andy Seas on Patreon to do our top 20 individual seasons of the NRL era. You know, rather doing top 20, you know, of... Um, best players of the era or similar. And I like the idea, but it's like I'm, everyone has got top 10, top 20 fatigue, if you ask me. So, you know, I was reading, um, and I'm going to read a story from there, but I was reading uh, Vossy stuff you may have missed. And it's like, you know what, why don't we just talk about things we may have missed, I guess, ourselves and, and old rugby league stories and give something a bit of a break from the news cycle and talk about some of the things, you know, good stories to remember in the game or things that, you know, whilst we've probably told the stories in the past, why don't we tell them again and have a laugh and enjoy it? I will. I, I don't want to give the the website in question any promotion, and you. But you guys will know what I'm talking about. But they did their best locks of the NRL era today and put Sam Burgess above Jason Tamalolo. So, and you're saying that's the correct decision? Oh well, look, I I don't see a problem with it. A lot of people are upset. <laughs> that was actually that was a plug, was it? That was. <laughs> no, it is. It is. I don't want to mention it because they're not paying like, me to mention it. Is what he's saying. It's it, it, it's, it's honestly like they get told to just put. Uh, like nonsense in these, and leagues. they they always grab one random player who played like ten games in the NRL era yeah. and put it in there. <laughs> yeah, Bradley Clyde. Bradley Clyde. How many NRL games did he play? He was cooked by then too. But mate, well at least like, and I know we're talking about him again, but I'm going to say anyway. The Matty Johns podcast last like made on Fox. It was the best it's ever been. I was like having a good cackle when I looked at it. Like they were reading the paper, they were watching Alf, watching Skippy. So as far as I'm concerned. You're getting pretty much the best rugby league content possible right now because otherwise we could, we could be playing clips from Skippy or um, whatever random gorilla movie with Clean Eastwood in it as well. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, that's, that's not too bad. We're, we've, we've got three weeks away from Dave messaging us asking when we're playing Dunstan Checks In again. <laughs> 
Yeah, like we're, we're, we're just we're just short of playing like online poker with each other and just recording it. I've been doing all right in the online poker. Had a few had a few decent finishes. Made made a little bit of money, but uh, hopefully a big hopefully a big score is around the corner for me. Can you rate out your top eight online poker platforms? Yeah, give it uh, the last twenty years. Oh, Controversial God. ace ace not my number one. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> no, just 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 for attention, put pocket kings above pocket ace. Actually, exactly. it's better because people won't expect it as much. Fantastic. Um, so yeah, let's let's take a little trip down our uh, memory lane, and uh, so we've each brought uh, two stories to the table. Who would like to start? Mitch, you can start. Oh, I can start. Okay, so I've got. I had too many to choose from. That's a problem as always. But I've actually stolen an ex. It's not really a story, but there's a there's a section in um, Andrew Voss's book I mentioned stuff he may have missed, and it just makes me laugh too much that I can't I can't not revisit it. But it's it's from the chapter Bouncing Benny, and it's about uh, it's Benny Elias essentially. And as you guys know, I'm very good at reading, so you have to sit back and enjoy me reading some now. But uh, maybe grab yourself a hot cocoa. It's getting cold, and uh, listen to me read very quickly. So here we go. This is, it was Channel 10 commentator John Brennan who, when waxing lyrical on the talent of a young Ben, summed up with one line. On the fem- seventh day, God made Ben Elias. However, let me make a frank admission. I'd love to hate Benny. You have to remember, I had a soft top for the bunnies and my brother Martin was a Balmain supporter. But I wasn't alone. I've heard the tale of cab drivers in Brisbane who, who when realising the identity of his passenger, kicked the bouncing Benny out of his car. Just left him stranded on the side of the road. Obviously, it was a little payback from a past origin battle, Queensland Kang Toad style. Just as Wally Lewis could do, Benny Elias mastered the art of getting under a rival skin. His irrepressible confidence and cockiness in turn got under the skin of the fans. And the better he played when lining up as an opponent to those fans' teams, well, the loathing went into overdrive. At the Bunnies during the 80s, Ben Elias' name was Mud. His rivalry with South's adversary, Mario Fennec, is legendary. A clash of European blood. Ben was born in Tripoli. I probably said that wrong. Lebanon on 15th of November, 1963. Tripoli. <laughs> <laughs> Mario was born just every year earlier. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, next thing. Begrudgingly, every South fan of the time would have to admit that Ben was some player, and you can push all your buttons with Mario to get him off his game. Even famously sent off in a semi-final SCG. I've come to know Ben over the years and I've always enjoyed talking football with him and fondly recounting the old days. From a media perspective as a player, Ben was a delight, always available for a chat, always with something to say. Often when he had to say, often what he had to say would call ramblings or controversy, better decipher it first. The reason was Ben's answer included that many cliches you'd swear he's being paid to use them. What's more, most of the time he'd get all tangled up on the cliche he was even attempting to produce. Let me put it this way. Elias didn't just mix metaphors. He metaphored mixes. To call it gibberish is probably a little harsh. I prefer to label as Benny Speak, a philosophy and vocabulary style all of its own. In the year 2000, I joined him at 2GB. Anyway, here we go. We're going to say some Bennyisms. This is what I wanted to get to. The Bennyisms. I love these. In questioning a chief executive on a player's salary, he asked for a ballpoint figure. <laughs> 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 In praising a man of the match, Ben once said he was head and heels above every other player, which is that's, that's, if your heels are above him, you're very far above the other players. Just putting it out there. In, in, uh, at another game, the man of the match was the best player by a straight mile. Yep. 
<laughs> a late change to a starting lineup was a twelve hour decision. <laughs> uh, a player who had up a lot of emotion wore his shoulders on his sleeve. Uh, a badly beaten side went home with their heads between their legs. Yep, good. <laughs> yep, this, this, is a, this is a good one. He once described a close match as a battle of nutrition. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> That's me right now, mate, in isolation, is the battle of nutrition. Battle of nutrition. Yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> Are you sure this isn't the list of things that Michael Scott thought were sayings that weren't? <laughs> it might be. Uh a, a close call on a penalty was a hairball decision. Oh, <laughs> a team striving for a place in the finals was looking for that carrot at the end of the rainbow. Yep, good. <laughs> yep. Uh, the, at, the, at a Melbourne Storm match, they were struggling to muster a comeback. Ben produced the gem. The Storm's sign language is bad. <laughs> uh uh, one night, I had made mention of a particular team's attacking Arsenal. Totally confused, Ben asked, come on, Vossi, what does Arsenal mean? I replied, as in, you're a pain in the Arsenal. I shouldn't answer back that way, as I'm sure that sometime Ben would have used pain in the Arsenal. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> this is my other favourite one, too. The exodus of Australian players to British clubs in 2000 was described by Ben as a player's exorcist. <laughs> yeah. Mate, well, my player's exorcist is uh, Wayne Bennett, uh, as you'd know, Bungard. He takes the demons out of players, just, you know, <laughs> gets them playing well. Next one. And then and he said uh, if there was a, not, a side that needed a good set of six, he would say they need to boost their confidentiality. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and then the final one, I'll skip a bit here. The final quote was when uh, Daryl Halligan scored the most points. Well, he broke the record. He said, here comes the decision and it's a try. T R I T R Y. Daryl Halligan is the greatest sports score in history of the game ever. And yes, you can say on the seventh day, God created Ben Elias, and a thousand of years later, the Almighty is still shaking his head. Fantastic. Very good. But mate, I, I just love a battle of nutrition. We're gonna I'm using that from here on. I think battle of nutrition <laughs> is the best one. Um so I've got one. So this this uh this refers to uh Chris Walker's time. Uh, at Souths and uh, just before and just afterwards. So um, Chris Walker, uh, you might remember, was um, one of the highest rated sort of young players in the game in the early 2000s. So he came to South in 2003. He'd been very, very hyped at the Broncos. He was the team's top try scorer in 2002, along with um, Lolly Takiri and Darren Lockyer. And of course, everyone has seen the famous uh, Walker's on clip from when he played State of Origin. So, you know, Souths had been absolutely dreadful in 2002 and Walker was... I guess one of the statement signings they made for 2003, along with Brian Fletcher, Adam McDougall, and a couple of others. So he was signed on for about 300 to 350, depending on where you read reports, uh, for three years, which was a lot of money at the time. Um, Mitchell, what were your, um, I guess, what were your memories of Chris Walker as a young fan at the Broncos and Queensland, for that matter? Chris Walker is one of those players that he he's definitely like a young man's player. Forget me. Like, I watch him back now, and he's extremely flawed. And he wasn't. He's a terrible defender. But when you're like a ten year old, a man running that fast is pretty much all that mattered. Yeah. <laughs> so I liked him. I liked him. He had a couple of good match winners at Brisbane. Had a couple of good origins. When he, you know, at Brisbane he came off the bench a bit, and like, you know, he's had that pace, and you know, he had won a few games. So I liked him, and I, and I was devastated when he left. 
Yep, which sounds about right. So obviously I was very, very excited that Souths had signed this Origin player who was very, very fast. As you said, very exciting when you're a kid just watching a guy who can run really fast. Um, didn't really work out. So he played just five games for South, scoring one try. Uh, it was against his old club, the Broncos, in a game they should have won, but he lost all five. You might remember that game, Mitch. It was the game Souths were winning and they had the ball with 10 seconds left. <laughs> Mate, um... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if anyone doesn't remember, um, Souths had the ball. Um, Paul Stringer took the last hit. What should have been the last hit up of the game? Gordon Taylor stripped the ball one on one, and they spread it wide, and someone scored in the corner. Famously, the two coaches, Paul Langmack and Wayne Bennett, had already left their boxes and had already shook hands in the bowels of Aussie Stadium, um, not realizing the result had actually flipped on its head while they were doing so. So, um, yeah, so that's how 2003 went for Souths. Um, anyway, so he, he'd had a couple of injuries. The team was absolutely awful. And um, he was overlooked for origin. Uh, Souths had just won, Souths had won just one game. He didn't play in that game in early May when he asked for his release. Um, it was granted somewhat controversially, given he had two and a half years left on a three-year contract. Um, and originally, there was some conjecture about uh, what year, where he would go after this. So despite his torrid time with the Bunnies, he was still very highly rated by a lot of people and was linked mainly with two places, the Manly Seagulls and the New South Wales Waratahs, who, of course, at the time were throwing money at any ex-leaguey that had, a, had, a, had an ounce of talent in the outside back. So at the time, you know, they, they just sewn money off the, off the top of my head. This was, you know, Wendell Saylor, Lottie Takiri, Nathan Blacklock, Mark Gaznia, Ryan Cross. Any others I'm forgetting, boys? Uh, Matt Rogers. went over there. Who, sorry? Sorry, Dale, you go. Matt Rogers won as well, I think. Oh, Matt Rogers, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Quinn Schifoski went a little later. Yep. Yes, he did. That's true. Yeah. But yeah, so Chris Walker fit that fit that mould of like sort of mercurially talented outside back uh, to a T. So I guess I was resigned to him going to Rugby Union, which was fine. But instead, he ended up at the Bunnies arch rivals, the Sydney Roosters, a few weeks later. And hilariously, I was reading an old story about this today. They somehow found money under the salary cap to sign him, despite being the defending premiers. That was the uh, the the way of the time, Bungard. <laughs> that was the, the Bulldogs did it, the Storm did it, the you know that's what, that's yeah. what they did. <laughs> they just looked under the couch and find a couple of hundred grand every time they needed it. It was it was truly remarkable. But um, uh, the hatred which emerged from this was incredible. Walker said later in an interview uh, with the Courier Mail that he did after retirement um, that he got seven or eight letters of death threats from South fans, uh, which I obviously don't condone. But amusingly, the first person he called was Wayne Bennett. And Wayne said, if someone is going to kill you, they'll never tell you first. I mean, he's not wrong. That's a <laughs> I mean, that's a fairly good piece of advice looking back. So it's the yeah. one that didn't send the threats, that's you gotta look out for. <laughs> yeah. Um, but more amusingly, so that is obviously a bit too serious and not the I mean the Wayne Bennett line is funny, but the death threats are not. But more amusingly than that, um Souths were sponsored by one of South sponsors that year was Arrive Alive, the uh, road safety, you know, uh, awareness campaign or whatever you call it. And they'd they'd run these ads on the big screen at games featuring um safe driving tips. Um and obviously they'd stopped using the Chris Walker one when he left the club. But uh late in the season they brought the Chris Walker safe driving tips uh, video back at a game for one week. Why did they do this, you ask? Because it came in the game after Chris Walker reportedly crashed his whole Monaro into a tree. <laughs> <laughs> I do love club banter. Yes, that is incredibly spiteful, and I'm a huge fan of it. Um, of course, Souths did not get their revenge on Chris Walker because they were awful. Despite uh, when they played the Roosters later that year, uh, despite South scoring first through a young Luke McDougal and it being ten all at half time, uh, the Roosters ran away with it, winning thirty eight to ten. Chris Walker scoring a try against his old 
club. Uh, he would have a relatively decent couple of years. He, he went on to score for the Roosters in the grand final loss to the pa- Panthers at the end of that year, but of uh, but off-field issues plagued his career, and he never really realized his full potential. He was sacked from both the Roosters and the Storm later on for um, issues related to alcohol. He even said that um, in, in, in that interview with the career mail that I mentioned before, he even said that looking back, I should have stayed in Brisbane under Wayne. So he actually moved to Sydney, I believe, because he was dating um, Home and Away star Kate Ritchie at the time, and she was from Sydney. But again, Mitchell, a, a player regrets leaving the, the the comforting bosom of Wayne Bennett. <laughs> Mate, and he also went, he had so many chances. Not very often a, a player has chances at those clubs. But do you remember he famously came back in that period, that year, 2011, when when uh-huh. the Premier League decided to sign all of Super League? <laughs> it was yes. like... They've got Chris Hicks, uh, Casey Maguire, uh, Chris Walker. They brought Paul Fatawira back. And then they also got like old Carl Webb and Rennie Matua. They were like, this is the way forward for this club. We're going to get all those guys back. Didn't really pan out. No, it didn't. But Chris Walker is like, yeah, as you said, one of the great enigmas of, yep. of rugby league. But there was that time there. Like, how, many, how funny was it around that time? How convenient many people found their ways out of South contracts. Hey, you had, what, Terry Hill as Terry well? Terry Hill, Adam McDougall, Chris Walker. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many. Fui Fui Moimoy is one of the funnier ones. Um, if people don't remember, Fui Fui Moimoy actually, actually was at Seats before he went to Parramatta. Uh, he never played first grade, but he played 10 minutes in a trial game uh, in 2003 under Paul Langmack. Uh, what a tenure that was. And, um, the next Monday or Tuesday at training, he came up, he came in, uh, trained for 10 minutes, and then he uh, promptly started gathering his sims to leave. And Paul Langback turned to him and said, Fooey, what are you doing? And Fooey said, famously, I play for 10, I train for 10, and fucked off. <laughs> I don't, like, people talk, like, wow. I really, I know I've stressed this before, but I really don't think people who support any other club understand what a fucking shit show the early 2000s were for South. No one else comes close in terms of off-field unprofessionalism no. and on-field incompetence. No one, not even well, those Knights well, teams of a few years ago. No one comes. Close. Well, not for the last, not for the last twenty or so years. Obviously, Sorry, yeah, early, obviously. in the NRL before era, the, yeah, before the professional era, there's definitely teams that, oh, are, that are like that. Um, but and yeah, funnily, funnily, so and it's weird that we just kind of forgot about Chris Walker when we were doing that what if team the other week. But um, yeah, obviously, it was an incredibly talented guy, and it never really fully panned out for him he never he never never played origin again after leaving the broncos as what a 20 year old in 2001 so yeah uh, and he and he was what he played he scored like 40 tries in like seven yeah I mean, he had those games at the roosters. He, he had a pretty good strike rate at the roosters before it all went pear-shaped um funnily enough souths didn't beat the roosters for more than a decade and then in 2005 walker was still at the roosters he didn't play in the game souths won 17 to 16 the winning field goal came when one of Chris Walker's brothers, Shane, threw the ball to his other brother, Ben, who potted the one-pointer. So the bloody Walker's brothers. Mate, I, I thought Ben Walker was the goddamn truth when I was like 13 and he was playing halfback for us. Mate, Ben Walker was a talented player, man. He was like, I know, I think we've got a question about Shane Walker to come in the next Question Time podcast, but like he, Shane now is talked about being the best junior in the country. Ben Walker for a while there was considered the best junior in the country, so... uh didn't always come together for him, but he had some of those games, hey, when you just saw it all. It's kind of like how Bo Champion was like that too. Yeah, we. I, I hitched my wagon to so many guys around that time. Champion was another one. Joe Williams, obviously. Nathan Merritt. And Merritt's really the only one of the of those guys that really sort of kicked on at Souths. Oh, Ashley Harrison. Luke Stewart, well, but Again, mate. he left. Well, Luke Stewart was there, but he like Luke Stewart was a great, great player. But he, he wasn't like, he's not like a club transforming talent. Like he was just a, he was just a very, very good forward who never made mistakes. And, um, Played City Origin in 2009. So, good on him. 
Uh, Facebook memories today from 2009 was Matt Bungard is stoked Luke Stewart made a rep side. So we'll, we'll trip down memory lane. For the thanks, 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 thanks for the Facebook memories. No worries. No roots. What do you got? Alrighty. So I wanted to discuss uh, on the on the topic of graded Igbens, uh the one and only Todd Carney. Uh, Todd Carney was, uh, you know, he was really the the enigma of the well, one of the enigmas of the early two thousands, mid two thousands with the Raiders. He was in that uh, young group of gentlemen, along him, Ferguson, Dugan, Monaghan, you know, a lot of young local players. Uh, obviously, he was considered a local because he grew up on the Southern Highlands in Goulburn. Started playing for the Raiders in two thousand and four. He was only seventeen, uh, and then. Two years later, things hit the skids. So in 2006, uh, in December 2006, Carney was charged with drink driving and reckless driving uh, after a night out in Goulburn. Uh, he was almost three point, uh, almost three times over the legal limit uh, and he was banned from driving for five years. So he's, banned, he's had his licence taken off from until 2006. Uh, Car- Carney was... Raiders Rookie of the Year in 2004, and I'm fairly sure he was Player of the Club Player of the Year in 2006. Could be wrong there, but uh, so unlicensed until 2011. Now, when you're an unlicensed driver, there's a general rule that you don't drive without a license. Uh, for Todd, that uh, that rule didn't didn't matter. So at uh, on uh, when was it? It was it must have been. Was it February, February 2000 and, no, sorry, uh, May 2007. Uh, Carney's teammate, Steve Irwin, is out at, I think, the Ginandera Hotel. It's five o'clock on a Friday afternoon and he's three sheets to the wind. So Todd Carney, being a good bloke, he goes and picks his mate up. <clears throat> As I mentioned, there is only one problem with this story. Todd Carney does not have a driving uh, a driver's license at this point and he is driving. Uh, so he, he he's driving... Erwin home from from the pub, good thing to do, and it goes around the corner. He starts losing traction at the back of this, the back of Erwin's Ute. The cops see him driving around the corner too quick. This is in Bruce. It's just down the road from the Raiders' training ground, and uh, and they flash their lights and sirens at him. And and of course, <clears throat> the best thing to do when the cops flash their lights and sirens at you is speed off. So, Carney. Turns into uh, Thin Street, which is in in Bruce. It's just, as I said, it's between the Raiders training ground and the uh, AIS. I believe I was near the AIS. He speeds off through this through these back streets. He's doing eighty through sixty zone, yada yada yada. He runs. He uh, gets to a dead end, and he jumps out of the car and he bolts into the bush. Good plan. Now Steve Irwin is pissed out of his mind at this point, and he's still in the car. So the cops pull pull up. They say, "Where's he gone?" He goes, "I don't know, mate." But you know, Carney was driving, and they he cooperates with the police. All good. The cops look for look for Carney through the through the scrub. There can't find him anywhere. They go to his place in I think O'Connor, which is the next suburb over. They turn up, and his flatmate he says he's he's not been here. He hasn't been here since this afternoon. Anyway, the next day, Carney turns himself into police. Uh, later that year, he, uh, as I said, he 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 pleads guilty to uh, to driving without a license. Uh, he's given he loses his license for another five years, 
So he's now banned until 2012, which is the same charge that he got immediately, like he said he already had rather. He's given a 12-month good behaviour bond and 200 hours of community service. He is fined only $500 after all this <laughs> wow. and then released back into the community. No jail time, no nothing. But sh- sh- uh, So this was actually, Dale, this was a very early example of the Isaac Gordon threshold. It was. Steve Irwin was released by the Raiders. It was. Only a few weeks <laughs> later, Irwin was let go by the Raiders. Uh, and, and I then believe that... Irwin blew up. Yeah, I, I believe that... Um, who was their coach at this point? Uh, it would have been Ferner, wouldn't it? I think it was... Um, was it Matt no, is it No, Neil Henry, isn't it? It was Neil Henry. And Henry was um, Queensland state of origin assistant coach at this point. Um, and he couldn't deal with it until he came back from origin duty. So the club didn't let Carney go. They obviously got, they let Irwin go, I don't know, for, you know, being pissed. Just, you know, they obviously, they had a booze ban. But, um, yeah, the coach had to come back and then deal with, the situation of like two of his starting players or two of his players getting pissed on a Friday at like four o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and yeah, somehow Todd Carney's, you know, was, uh, was retained by the Raiders for another three seasons uh, <laughs> until some other, uh, some other off, off field incidents. You know, there was some drinking at a, some drinking at a bar. There was a there was a vandalism spree. There was yeah, a, you know, a suspended jail sentence. There was well, getting banned from his hometown for being too pissed. Well, what's <laughs> uh, interesting about this to years. me, Dale, is that um, after the car incident, a magistrate warned Carney that if he committed another offence, he would quote undoubtedly go to jail. But he, <laughs> <laughs> he did not go to jail. He did not. And, and by jail, we mean work at a pub in Atherton for a few months. Yeah. <laughs> and then win a Dalliem at a different club. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, so oh he was he was sacked by the Raiders in 2008. Uh, his contract was terminated and he wouldn't be re-registered by the NRL. Couldn't play until 2010. Yeah. It's um. It's reading these backs always one of my favourite ones with Todd Carney because he's we all know he's been boiled down into just a victim these days in, in most of the populace. But even in this thing, like, when he got sacked, Steve Irwin like. He, you obviously can't prove any of it, and the court the court had its day, but Irwin claimed that the club made him lie, and then you know he's covering up for Todd Carney and all that, and then saying you know all Todd cop was the loss of five hundred dollars and more community service, but he lost you know eighty thousand dollars in a rugby league career. You know he got he was the one who actually got punished, yeah, which is quite funny. But and then Carney's manager David Riolo did the classic call of like you know any time you say something, and oh sorry one of the lazy comebacks is jealousy. The guy was jealous of Todd Carney. I don't think he was jealous of Todd Carney. No, <laughs> no. Um, obviously, the the story itself is not like the the his battles with substances and all that is not particularly funny. But one thing I did find amusing was that one of the drunken incidents involved him smashing up a phone zone store. Yes, who, <laughs> and they they were they were not at the time. Canberra sponsor, but they obviously had been previously. And for anyone who watched rugby league in the mid two thousands, they definitely associate Canberra with that sort of phone zone jersey. So that was mildly now, amusing to me as well. 
Did he end up in a phone zone store because he was so pissed and he thought he was back at the Raiders club? Like, honestly, <laughs> that, that was my thoughts when I read it. Is like, does he? Does he? Does he just recognised this symbol and he's just he's walked in, <laughs> just going around yeah, punching but... stop signs, angry, sh- <laughs> angry octagons. But that, oh. that little um, that little period for Canberra, though, I think that really did set. It doesn't sound great, but it did set the standard of what that club is now. Like there was a lot of guys. I put up with a few dickheads for a while there. And made excuses and gave them chances, but once they finally punted, like Todd and Fergo and, and Dugan, have has that club been able to move on from all this? Oh yeah, and I mean that it's it's weird to look back on now because like that, like the original incident, him getting caught drink driving in in Goulburn, that's like that's nearly fifteen years ago, and I know that you know a fifteen you know a week is a long time in footy, but like that for the club as you say, to have come so far to the point where, like, <clears throat> back then people would have been like, oh, well, obviously, like, he's a dickhead, but, you know, it's just it's just boys being boys. To now the the general Raiders fan base, when they were talking about him coming back to play for the Nines, were like, I would rather, like, cut my leg off. Um, like, it just shows kind of how far the culture's evolved at the club, to the, pl- to the point where you've got players like, yeah. you know, Sia Soliola working at a soup kitchen, instead of, you know, someone having peanut butter licked off their nuts by a dog. Well, yeah. I mean, I obviously right. think there's still problems with player behavior to an extent, but I think it's definitely improved over the last five years or so. Yeah, 100%. It would. And by the way, if you remember after this, when, when Todd got let go by Canberra, and this is when, um, because I, I, I was young and again, I liked how Todd played, I, I used to just ignore all the things he did wrong. But when he couldn't accept a booze ban, like yeah, because then they offered him like to to terminate his his uh, Canberra contract. It was like accept, stand down from training for the season, go on alcohol ban, undergo counselling, do community service, and pay a fine. I think all he couldn't do was not take the booze ban. Yeah, and that was it, mate. You couldn't go off the piss for your career when it came down to it, and you got punted. And they were supposed to feel sorry for this guy later. Like, miss me. <laughs> yeah. Um. Can I just uh, insert a little uh, little caveat before we run into our second round of story time? Um, sometimes we forget how much better any professional athletes are at all sports than we are. So I just saw on social media, Steve Smith, the Australian cricket captain, who obviously a great batsman, but you wouldn't exactly associate him with the peak of athleticism. Um, uh, put on Instagram today, never ran further than 12 kilometers today, thought I'd have a crack at a half marathon. He ran, a ha- he ran the loop of the Bay Run three times in an hour and a half. And, and how many kilometers is that? 21. So he ran a half marathon in 90 minutes or so. Yeah. <laughs> we just we just forget how much better they are at everything. God damn you, Steve Smith. <laughs> That's it, mate. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, if, story? well, if my knee and my kidneys and my whatevers, I'd still be nothing. But anyway. <laughs> okay, so my second story. I've gone with once... Um, once Bungard told me one of his, I'm like, screw it. I'm just going to go for one of the stupid ones I enjoy. And it's the same sense of um, of Dale's. And we've told this story before on the podcast. But my my story is Craig Gower's lovely day down at the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> Craig Gower's golf outing, as it's become. Yes, in, uh, at the Jack Newton Celebrity Golf Classic <laughs> in uh, 2005. Anyway, if you don't know this day... I'm going to read allegations everywhere because there's the, the, the truth of this day doesn't exist. I'm sorry, it just doesn't. But on this day, anyway, it's alleged that Craig Gower, uh, he had arguments with several guests. He, dam- he drove a golf cart and crashed it. He held a butter knife to the throat of a radio personality. 
He walked around the resort naked. He chased Mitchell Pierce with a bottle. He vomited on, on Mitchell Pierce. And then the one that isn't so funny, he groped uh, Mitchell Pierce's sister Tatum. But the rest of it, I think it's goddamn amazing this happened at a golf classic and nothing happened. Nobody stopped him. Fed went on a rampage. And my favorite thing after the whole incident is that the golf course defended him. Like it was regular behavior of their patrons. And they said it happened all the time. Get over it. <laughs> so after the incident, what did the golf course say? I'm trying to find the, the, uh, the bloody spokesperson. I had it here. Of course, I've lost it. Anyway, the golf course uh, spokesperson essentially said, "It just, you know, guys get their kid off here all the time. It's fine. Get over it." <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's an interesting defense. I mean, I, yeah. I'm I've I've been to a few golf days. My my dad Bucks was a golf day. That was lovely. Um, decided lack of nudity at that event. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here we go. Here we go. I've got it here. So Gower went to the Penrith board. And they didn't terminate his contract or similar, but they had a, they had the Leary report coming out on, on his allegations. And inside the Leary report, they, he was cleared of throwing a knife. <laughs> so he didn't throw a knife, which is good. Uh, anyway, the statements from witnesses did say he was naked around the hotel, but the staff said such sightings of guests were actually relatively common. And the golf club officials said also the player was welcome back to the course anytime oh, he wanted. Jesus <laughs> <laughs> even, though he, even though he also caused damage to a golf cart when he re- drove into a rock. But the club officials also said that was also a regular problem that was of no concern. Jesus. <laughs> how good that, that cover up? He must have been a good um a, he must have been a good uh what are saying, client of that golf course, hey? Yeah. <laughs> golf carts aren't cheap. And they're, they're not, you know, like driving it into a rocket full pelt is, you know, it's like hitting a wombat. You're going to do some damage. Jesus Christ. Ugh. Yeah, it's great. And then, and then a few months later, he broke his silence, mate. Finally broke his silence on the issue. And he goes, he, he potentially says that it's been nearly 10 days. <laughs> so get over it. Oh god! And then just he just wanted to have beer and some fun with his mates. Like, come on, guys, just some beer. He said sorry. <laughs> he would say, he goes, oh, "I'm up here to have a good time, and that's it. What? What? I can't go out and enjoy myself. At the end of the day, I'm a normal bloke. I'm no better than anyone else. As long as I respect others, that's the main thing." <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So the defense was let the boys play. Basically, yes, his own defense was that, and then yeah, he um, and then the the football manager Mick Leary was also upset that he lost his holidays. His first comment was, "Put it this way, my holidays are gone." But <laughs> <laughs> uh, then, then he also says Craig Gow is actually a great mo- role model. He just denies what happened. He said that's not how it was. I can only vouch for his character. I mean, it was his buck night. Bucks night. Everyone was buying him beers. He had two days of bucks parties and things like that. <laughs> what? I love, like, this is not that long ago, but what is this? 2005, you could not pull these excuses for a footy player right now. No, no way. And, and, like, it's the same thing that we've said so many times about, like, Alfie coming back from the Super League and, like, uh, Sonny Bill going to Union and all this other kind of stuff. Like, it's just no way that that could happen now. Like, and I'd sound very grandfatherly and things were better in my day, but, like, imagine, like, Craig Gow would be a meme within 15 minutes. 
Like there would be yeah, I mean, some kind of dance around Craig Gower's nudity. This there was yeah. This isn't even the dumbest thing he did. So he he obviously after he finished in the NRL went to play rugby and he ended up playing. 11 that is games. very dumb. Actually, you're right. Playing rugby. <laughs> he ended up playing eleven games for Italy. He did. Right? He played one in Canberra against. And the he Wallabies. was, but 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 he was going to play in the World Cup for them, and then yeah. he. Announced that he was going back to league starting in 2012, so they didn't pick him. So, like, the whole reason you switched to rugby is to play in a World Cup, and then he just like left the sport like two months before the Rugby Union World Cup. Yeah, what a fool! And then he played six games for Newcastle in 2013. People forget. Yeah. I certainly did. Heady days. It's good. And then he's just had other. He had lots of other incidents as well. And the cl- classic one is always a classic. Like, mate, can I just want to have some fun? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's and he was he was actually reappointed clap, captain after that incident too, by the way, which is well, that's silly. Uh, yeah, Penrith, well, what a what a place. What a but yeah, as you said, Dale, if that happened right now, there would be a video of it on Twitter within half an hour. Someone working at oh, that yeah, golf course. He, yeah, <laughs> he he'd, I mean, he'd be gone. Yeah, there'd be no way that it'd be happening. Yeah. All right. Um, I have another one, if that's okay. Um. Mm-hmm. So, apologies again. This one is also South-centric, but it will be just as funny as the Chris Walker one, if not more ridiculous. Um, so, flashback to late 2006. The Rabbitohs are flying high. Uh, not on the field, where they just finished last again. But, I was about to say, they uh, came, they what, just... 16th, 15th that season? Uh, no, they came last. They didn't win okay. a game until June. Um, <laughs> anyway, but they had announced the sale of the club to Russell Crowe and Peter Holmes at court, and things were going to be different. Uh, Roy Satasi, David Kidwell, Dean Witters, and Nigel Vonganar were among the club's star signings. And uh, Crow even went on the Tonight Show with Jay Leno to announce the uh, Rabbitohs' new uh, major sponsor, Firepower, and he held up a jersey with the company's name emblazoned across the front. Oh, um, God. Yeah, if you read Firepower's <laughs> Wikipedia, Dale, it starts with, Firepower was a fraudulent company that... <laughs> it, it's never good when you go on Wikipedia to look for something and it starts with X was. <laughs> and fraudulent. Yes. <laughs> so... The 2007 season began, everything was fine. The team was much better in the field. They actually made the finals for the first time since 1989. And it was reportedly it was reported that Firepower paid all their sponsorship money to date, which I believe was supposed to be $2.5 million a year over three years. Um, the first red flag, though, Mitchell, and this will annoy you especially, came when the company apparently pledged to donate extra money uh, for charity for Jonah Lomu to appear for Souths in the 2008 Charity Shield, but then promptly, uh, for no reason, pulled the money on sponsoring the rugby icon. Well, what, what, what do you mean, no reason? <laughs> they pulled out of the deal. So, yeah, yeah we could have seen Jonah Lombu in a South Jersey in a rugby league game. That would have been cool. Anyway, been uh, cool. so Firepower were flying high. They, they'd shot to prominence after not only sponsoring Souths, but also the Sydney Kings, the Western Force, uh, V8 Supercars, the Australian Superbikes, the Tongan rugby team. Uh, and they were also a major player in the uh, big big contract that um, Matt Gitto was given to sign for the force. So I think they paid a big chunk of that $4.5 million contract that Gitto was getting to play for the uh, expansion franchise it? in the Super Rugby. Um, he'd also apparently been offered firepower shares in lieu of cash. So hopefully uh, he got out of those because their technology, which promoted a fuel additive which would release consumption, uh, was a complete lie. Uh, and it was around the start of 2008, the end of 2007, where the company began to be investigated by the authorities. So basically what was supposed to happen was you would put a pill in your petrol tank and it would make your vehicle use less petrol. Uh, if that sounds too good to be true, that's because it probably was. Um, <laughs> so God, It, it was, doesn't even sound like it's real. It says it claims it by burning... Absurd. 
It works by burning more of the heavier elements of your fuel, increasing power and fuel economy. What? What? They're just, they're just saying words. Anyway, so end of 2007, they're being investigated by ASIC over raising, quote, $60 million without adequate financial disclosures to investors. Um, the ensuing legal battles saw several company directors banned from operating companies or declaring bankruptcy. Uh, so... Sorry, it didn't ban them from declaring bankruptcy, I should say. It banned some of them from operating companies and others declared bankruptcy, or both. Um, so, obviously, by the time 2008 started, the rugby league season, Firepower were no longer on Rabbitohs jerseys. <laughs> but what really brought them down was a cache of documents uh, which were uncovered on a computer in 2009. They included a $10,000 gift check to the president of Pakistan, evidence that government officials were complicit in uh, helping get the company through Austrade offices, and evidence that the company had a constant goal of creating connections with both government officials and military personnel. But where was this uh, smoking gun found, you ask? Well, it was found on a computer that an internet cafe owner in Perth bought for $40 at an auction after <laughs> the company had thrown all their computers away two years earlier. Yeah. Oh, my God. Jesus. I think it's like Chris Walker found it for a moment. I was like, oh, <laughs> imagine. <laughs> but um, I like this one of the things that what the Howard government were complicit in this one, apparently. I do like like Aussie political corruption just gets ignored always. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Move past if it. I remember correctly, like Firepower went to Austrade and were like, uh, okay, so we want to, we want some money for investment. So they got grants. They got like $250,000 in grants from the government to That's push right, they this. Did fraudulent product and then they went overseas and sold it to come to to places like i think they had a they had like an office in mumbai delhi hong kong like they had offices all around the world and they were just selling this complete bullshit but the government the australian government had helped them with funds and liaise with liaising with these like foreign businesses because they were trying to push them as like an australian investment well, yeah, Julie Bishop was the Minister for Science at the time, and they successfully lobbied her. Obviously, she was also from Western Australia, as the company was. Um, yeah. And yeah, they received almost, as you said, $400,000 in export grants uh, from the government. So, and surely it's one of those things, right? Surely, like, one mechanic knows if can, this can or cannot work. Well, that yeah, was, this sounds like something that would be instantly, like, unraveled, like, was, just by using it once. I was telling, I was, this was the thing I was telling you boys before about the story from india i think it's from india but there was a good a four corners program about firepower in maybe 2012 yes yes and one of the stories that they had was so they went to the guy went to india I can't, tim ferguson i can't remember his name um he uh, went to tim india. johnson tim johnson not tim ferguson, tim ferguson he, was he was comedian who hosted also. um yeah yeah uh so he went to india and he's on the streets of mumbai and he's, he's giving a product demonstration to these potential investors. And he goes, okay, so let's find this truck, you know, one of those little Tata trucks. We'll put one of these fuel pills in. And, okay, so it takes some time to work around through the engine, as it does with any fuel additive. You've got to put it in your tank and run it through, blah, blah, blah. So what I want you to do is, he's got half, look, he's got half a tank of fuel now. We'll put one of these additives in and then drive around the block and then come back and, and we'll have a look at your fuel tank. So he, he goes, he gives the bloke, it puts the fuel pill in and guy drives around the block and comes back and there's three quarters of a tank of fuel there. And all the investors are amazed and they're, oh, oh God, we're going to, you know, we're going to make so much money. We're going to improve fuel efficiency. It's going to be so good for the, for you know, global warming, blah, blah, blah. It's good to make money. Love making money. 
anyway, so he he takes these blokes' money and and like as investors. But the story goes that supposedly the bloke whose trucker was, he literally just gave him like ten bucks and just said, "Go and put more fuel in the tank," and then drive around the other <laughs> side of the block. <laughs> and he came back and he was like, "Holy shit! There's t- there's." a quarter of a tank of fuel more more in the car and these investors just fucking ate it up. <laughs> and that's yeah. how he started ripping these people off in India. And I remember hearing oh, that yeah. being like, you know, what is it? Is it Occam's razor? It's always the simplest answer is the, is the, is the most likely. It, it was just pure, you know, some people have the gift of the gab. They can sell you anything. And this bloke was obviously very good at, at uh, parting fools from their money. So fucking firepower. What a story. Yeah, it's the same era, by the way. We had remember power bands. Yeah, they were around oh, for like yeah. years. Oh my god, they, Benji Marshall's power band. When we all every we NRL player players. wearing one of those at some point. My god, people are stupid. And, and they were driving to and from games with firepower fuel efficiencies, mate. <laughs> yeah, uh, firepower is interesting though because obviously that sponsorship stuff is a relatively early example of sport washing, where terrible companies use sports sponsorships to sort of mask the shady yeah. shit they're doing so that's and that's he, pretty he cool. owned part of the sydney kings like yes in that in that kind of low of the the mid or late 2000s uh in the nbl but yeah he he owned part of a, a sporting team that then you know sucked for some, crazy some years but yeah as you said kind of an odd one yep what do you got there they kidnapped someone what <laughs> sort of be stuck on Kidnapped and firepower, but they also kidnapped an adversary. Apparently, yeah. Well, you know, I think that was the least the least of their crimes. In offense, <laughs> he swindled like ten. He swindled like ten million dollars out of like mum and dad investors, which is just like it was. It, it was he was the Bernie Madoff of fuel. Here we go. The, Anderson had supposedly organised the kidnapping of an accountant who had refused to relinquish ownership of intellectual rights to foul players' controversial additives. Criminals had placed him in the boot of the vehicle, took him somewhere, and told him to dig his own grave. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's great. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brick, God, I miss footy. Uh, I also, I, in, I'm pretty sure he never went to jail, by the way. <laughs> well, of course not. <laughs> he had friends in the government. <laughs> That's how it works. He escaped prosecution. He escaped prosecution. What the hell? What a man. What a man. Yeah, you're up there. Alrighty. So I, I didn't want to end on a sour note, but my cat's scratching my door, so I have to give it the squirt bottle. Apologies, one and all. Um, I wanted to talk about the time that Newtown almost moved to Campbelltown in 1983. So uh, Newtown played, you know, we all know Newtown. We all love Newtown. Uh, Newtown played in the 81 grand final. Uh, they had recently received um, investment. John Singleton was involved in the club. Speaking of hires up, uh, he was involved in the club, uh, started pumping money into it. They hired Warren Ryan in, I think, 81 or 1980 um, to be their coach. 1979, they hired him. Um, Previous to that, they had brought over Manfred Moore, who played, I think, one game of New South Wales Rugby League. It's the only player yep. to score both a touchdown in the NFL and a try in rugby league uh, in well, what became the NRL. Uh, that was in 77, if I remember correctly. Um, but then as Singo started putting money in the club, um, as I said, they made the, they made the grand final in, in 81. And there was, it was a kind of era of uh, 
the the western suburbs opening up more to housing developments, places like kind of you know Penrith, uh, Liverpool, uh, Campbelltown, all those kind of areas in Western Sydney opening up and money moving out to the west, um, out of or the working class moving out of the out of the inner city that Newtown, Marrickville, Balmain area to the western suburbs. Um, and as a result of that, they like Newtown were getting terrible gates. So in the early, sorry, in the late seventies, Newtown's average crowd was around four thousand. Um, by the end of their tenure in the New South Wales Rugby League, they were averaging four and a half thousand in their last season. Um, so um, they were there were there were a few options. Uh, in 1983, both Wests and Newtown were going to be kicked out of the New South Wales Rugby League. Wests were right. playing at Lidcombe at this point, at Lidcombe Oval. Um, all of the grounds, obviously, apart from the SCG, at this point are a dump. Um, but they're playing at Lidcombe Oval, which, if anybody knows that's been there, has a velodrome around it. Um, New South, uh, Newtown are playing at Henson Park, so they're not fantastic facilities. Um, but in '83. At the end of the year, both Wests and Newtown were going to be kicked out of the comp. Um, Newtown had a partnership formed with uh, Liverpool and Campbelltown councils to play games at what was then called Arana Park, which is now Campbelltown Stadium. And they played six games at Campbelltown. Um, there was, in, in 1984, from what I was reading, they were going to be called the Newtown Campbelltown Jets. They were going to play. They get. They were going to play most of their games in Campbelltown, and they would have a partnership with the Campbelltown and Liverpool local leagues to be feeders into their um, first grade team. So you would have teams out here, you know, in the western suburbs, um, feeding into an, what was effectively going to be their own team. Um, and you know, having having more opportunity for kids out here, and it would be good for them. And there was a local lawyer whose whose family law firm is still involved in Campbelltown, the Marston family. From memory, he was involved in trying to bring the team out here. Basically, before the '84 season, the partnership fell apart, uh, and then uh, Newtown were effectively suspended from the competition. So they weren't kicked out immediately; they were suspended. And then in 1985, so Wests took the New South Wales Rugby League to court um, to say that they wouldn't be suspended. Wests were awful at this point. Um, and in 83, it was Wests and Newtown that actually came last in the league. Uh, but in, as I said, in 84, Wests took the league to court. They had a stay of execution. Uh, and in I think it was 1985, they were told that they wouldn't be suspended from the competition anymore and they would be free to play. Um, in 85, Newtown were told that they couldn't... Uh, couldn't play in the New South Wales Rugby League anymore and they that suspension was made permanent and they were obviously kicked out of comp. They became a, a reserve grade team in, I think, um, 89. But then in 1987, Wests moved from Lidcombe to Campbelltown and basically the work that had been done by Newtown in setting up a partnership with uh, Campbelltown uh, council and getting you know getting Arana Park, which, because I said, became Campbelltown City Stadium, Campbelltown Sports Stadium. Later on, Wests basically moved into their territory, moved their base from Ashfield and Lidcombe to Campbelltown, and that's how 
uh, Campbelltown became West Magpies Territory. Um, interestingly, uh, I was reading an excerpt from a book by the name of Bumper by Larry Writer, and it was talking about after the 83 grand final or after the 83 season, they held a wake uh, for the league, for the for the team, and it was basically about uh, how, uh, who was it? Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, he said, sorry, so um, Bumper gets up there and says, um, he's, he's up on stage, sorry, someone's up on stage and he says, uh, where are we? Sorry, if any of you bastards let the club die, you have to answer to me. Even if I'm dead and gone, I'll come back to haunt you. He said this up on stage. He didn't have any idea how bad the club's finances were because um, they weren't able to sell the league's club at Newtown, um, which eventually became the Cypriot club. Um, but, yeah, as I said, um, Newtown were months away from still being in the competition, which is a kind of interesting uh, thing to think about when you consider that their closest geographical rival is Balmain. And... Mm. Newtown obviously would exit the competition and Balmain and West would become a, a joint venture in, in 2000. So, I mean, how different they, things could have been? It could have been uh, the Newtown Tigers or, you know, West's may not, West's Magpies may not exist and may have gone out of existence 15 years earlier than they did uh, eventually. So, yeah, And they lost all their juniors there. I think, like, South absorbed most of them. Like, Marrickville still, I think, a South Sydney yeah, club. There's there's very few, and very few footy teams around there now, unfortunately. I mean, obviously, it's kind of interesting because if you ever go to a game at Henson Park and if if any of our listeners have not been, who have lived in Sydney and not been to a game, I would be surprised. But there's only four teams... Uh, sorry, there's two. There's only four teams left in what was the New, Newtown District Rugby League and they were Camperdown, Marrickville, Earlwood and Christian Brothers Lewisham, but they're all... They've all been absorbed into other... Areas, but as you say, yeah, I'm glad I remember two of them. Yeah, when but <laughs> like when you go there, it's almost there's probably if you if you see kids there and they're in sports jerseys, it's like fifty percent AFL there now. So like because there's obviously Newtown's the hipster club, it's always great to go down there and you know get a vegan snag and you you cloudy new you know your Newtown ale or whatever you're getting, but um, it's kind of strange to consider that the reason that that stopped existing is because of that kind of working class exit out into the Western suburbs. And that, Mm. you know, only 30, 40 years ago, that was like the hub of the working class in Sydney. And now it's very much kind of not so much yuppies, but um, young hipster families who have moved in there. And and that's the, that's the population now. I'd like to say the club's demise started when they changed their name from the Blue Bags to the Jets in the seventies. Well, look, the Blue Bags I, today. I've, I've got nothing but uh, I've got nothing to bad say. Nothing, nothing to good to say about that change. That was a from memory. That was a Singo thing as well. He changed the name and they changed the jerseys. Originally, they wore all royal blue jerseys, and then he was the one mm. who put the sleeves on the stri- on the uh, stripes on the sleeve. That was a good change. Another random uh, old Newtown Jets fact. In 1978, uh, player Paul Haywood was sentenced to 30 years in prison in Thailand for trying to export eight and a half kilos of heroin to Australia. That is a good, that is a good one. <laughs> that's, a lot of, that's a lot of heroin. Like Maybe if you're a footy player or whatever, try not to get eight and a half kilos. Start small. Maybe eight. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, did you guys ever see the movie that, that Matt Nabel made about about Newtown's last season? No. No. What's it called? Apparently, it's pretty. Matt it Nabel actually said. got really good reviews. It came out in 2007 called The Final Winter. If anyone said it, let's commentary. Know. Oh, don't be mean. <laughs> That's not a no. <laughs> but also, do be mean. He sucks. He's terrible. I'll stop it. Uh, I don't want to watch his movie. But yeah. It's on our YouTube. Newtown. There you go. The Final Winter's on there. Yep. Might, I might give it a watch. Why not? Let, let us know yeah, how it goes. Go. I'll, I'll be keen. I'll be keen for your fifteen hundred word review in the next podcast. Oh. Same so as the next story time. Yeah, I enjoyoyed okay. story time. Yeah, do story this again. Time was good. I'll try yeah, I've already to... thought of a few more while we've been doing this, so that's good. And I'll, if anyone else, if anyone I'll out there has some stories they want us to to sort of rewind upon, let us know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell you what. You know who's sitting at home now, angry he wasn't invited on, is definitely Nick Campton. Yep. So like when we did the first Greatest Games episode, and he, he after he messaged me, he's like, how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> I'm getting one of those tomorrow. <laughs> how dare you use your story time without me? He'll, uh, of, he'll feel it in his waters. It'll be one of those three o'clock texts. <laughs> That's Count, it. Counterpoint, fuck him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that was uh, NRL news slash story time. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys are all staying safe, practicing responsible social distancing, and uh, washing your hands regularly. And now I'm going to wash my hands of you two clowns and get oh. out of here. All right, Pontius Pilate. Okay. Good stuff. Got him. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Say goodbye, Dale. Goodbye, Dale. Say goodbye, Mitchell. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me.